Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, the, uh, last week I didn't do a good job of telling people about the baskets. What does this say, everybody? Glory Wilmot Prison Ministry. Come on, guys. You guys are busy. Concordia kids are supposed to help me. Um, all right, anyways, uh, so that's what the baskets are for, for Lori Wilmot Prison Ministry. <laughs> and that's what it says on the note. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't think it looked right, but, you know, I rarely trust myself. Uh, it just doesn't matter. Lori Wilbert. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because... Um, most of my life, I, I, when people ever ask, are you sure, I'm, I'm really kind of like, I don't really know how to answer that question. I've read a little bit, for you Concordia students, a little too much uh, postmodern philosophy. Can you be sure of anything, really? <laughs> so everyone's like, yeah, so Holly especially, she's like, are you sure? I'm like, well, I, I guess I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure I could be wrong. Um, so, you know. Yeah, how can I, am I sure if I'm wrong, though, right? So it works both ways. Depends on who you trust. Which, of course, who do we trust? Thank you very much. Okay. But anyways, needless to say, uh, Lori Wilbert for the prison ministry. That's what the baskets are going to. Uh, Big shout-out to Steve Chester for plowing. and Welcome, Soren. Welcome. It was for you, buddy. You guys just walked in. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, uh, let's pray. Uh, can you do, I mean, just make sure it doesn't time out. This is not my computer. I don't even know if it's going to work. All right. So uh, we're going to read Psalm 63 for our prayer. Um, before we actually, you know, read it, um, I have to get this a lot closer. How many people are of above 40 in here? Don't raise your hand. Just, just wondering. <laughs> I was told when I hit 40, my eyes are no longer, like, malleable. They solidify. Um, so I still haven't, I haven't gone to Walgreens and bought my reading glasses yet. So I have to get this super close. Uh, but when we, uh, so we think about it. Now, last week, we delved into kind of how, like, prayer is a longing for God. And we long for God based on this premise that God actually desires us and that uh, we desire God. And that um, when we, when we desire, desire God, of course, we desire beauty. Today we'll learn we actually desire good also. But um, when beauty is broken or, you know, we, we have cry out in pain, but then when beauty is revealed, we cry out in joy. And that cry comes from the heart, but the heart, though, uh, when it is ruled by sin, is a very scary place. It's a dark place that we can get lost in. But when the heart is occupied by the light of Christ, Christ himself, then Christ becomes this source of our prayer. Um, and anyway, so when we read Psalm 63, I want you to kind of be thinking about this. 
uh, in the back of your mind because it is a uh, psalm. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know if people. Maybe people talk this way all the time, but I was never taught this when I was a kid. And you know, most pastors will just like to teach things they they've learned because they never learned them. So I, I never learned this as a kid to like approach prayer with the heart and desire and this understanding that, um, you know, God actually wants to hear from me. So, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen. Okay. Um, Last week... All right, I mentioned all that. All right, so last week, I'm not going to do Born to Run, but for those who maybe weren't here last week, uh, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, you should, this should resonate with you, but Bruce Springsteen sings a song called Born to Run. It is about getting out. Now, some people might think it's just about getting out of the town, getting out of a small town, uh, but it's more of that. It's about this desire for more, to see more, to get out and experience what God or the universe I mean, for him, it's more about like what, what life has for you. But of course, as Christians, we know that God is at the center of this, at the center of the universe. So, it's, um, so when we talk about prayer as a longing for God, our longing is basically to be heard by God. And that throughout history, artists will always articulate this desire to be heard. And Bruce Springsteen, at the very end of the song, Born to Run, has anybody, has anybody practiced this week uh, to... You were supposed to. Was I? I don't think I was. I think it was agreed upon that I wasn't going to do it, actually. Um, nice try. Okay. You know, maybe we should tell Pastor Bruzik to do it. Yes? Are you sure? Oh, hey, good, good, good point. Touche. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if I'm sure, sure. Okay, anyway, but the whole point, though, is that, uh, you know, we desire, we desire this more in life. And, uh, you know, how we articulate it comes in all different ways. But, um, you know, I just used born to run. I mean, we are born to run. Now, of course, as disciples of Christ, uh, that makes sense, right? Because Christ saves us to what? Not, not, well, I mean, I mean, Jesus might be a good runner. I don't know if you get... Cross-country team, have you ever thought about that? Is Jesus a runner? He's more of a walker, right? And we're born to walk. Maybe we're born to walk. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bruce Springsteen, 
you know, you didn't get everything right. We're not born to run, we're born to walk. Of course, we're born to walk behind Jesus. So this idea of getting and going and never being still. But um, again, we are desiring to follow Christ, and Christ, of course, is the, is the good one or the beautiful one. And prayer is, a, is the cry of pain, and then prayer is the deeper cry of joy. So we, we kind of talked about how um, when we think about the bottom of our life and we think about crying, uh, cry out. So it could be literal crying down the tree, ears or a, the eyes, <laughs> or the sense of like crying out to God in either anger or emotion, that these are all good prayers, but there is a prayer that's even deeper than these. When we think we've hit rock bottom, Jesus shows up and realizes that Jesus comes from the ground up. Right? He's been buried, and he, he comes through the resurrection, up through the ground, so that, that there's a deeper cry of joy. But what is that, where does that cry come from? It comes from the heart, and the source of prayer is the heart. The heart is our hidden center. Um, so you know, what is the heart? Of course, it's a literal organ in our life that pumps blood. But of course, when the Bible and the saints have used the phrase heart, it's, it's our hidden center, this, this center. It's not just emotions, but it's like what makes us us, what makes you you you. And so really the only person who's previewed to your heart is God. God knows your heart more than you. And that, that's hard to believe, but it's true. And so uh, because when we search our heart, apart from God, it becomes a very scary place because uh, you know, sin has darkened it. But when Christ comes, the heart is this wonderful place. So, you know, like, for instance, we uh, sang a couple hymns today. One uh, mentions the heart and, and singing out. And so how can we say that? Well, it's because Christ is present in the heart. So when we say my heart sings for joy or, you know, in any hymn that we sing or song we sing, it's not our heart apart from Christ, but it's Christ present in the heart that sings. So, but with that, though, in, in hymn 904, which is our first processional hymn, I, uh, you know, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Uh, so, I, I have a clip up here from Sandlot. Sandlot is one of the greatest movies for young men, I think. I mean, if uh, every boy from, like, 12 and younger really should watch Sandlot. Um, maybe 13, I don't know. But um, it's coming of age story, and this is uh, this is a st- this is a scene about prayer. Uh, for those who may have never seen Sandlot, Sandlot is about a well Sandlot playing baseball in the Sandlot in the, the kind of the vacant uh, yard down in the neighborhood, and uh, the story is a little bit about baseball, but it's also about boys becoming friends. And, and learning about life together. But this young man is Squints. Uh, he's, he's, he's a very uh, passionate young man, as we will find out. Um, and he is, they're at the pool. And uh, well, I'm just going to leave it at that for now. But it does have to do with prayer. And it actually has to do with him, 904, and the word... Adore or adoration. Okay, uh, can someone turn the lights up? Oh, by the way, again, 
We've had, we've had some minor AV difficulties recently, so if it doesn't work, uh, if my wife was up here, I would act it out, but since she's not. Okay, hit the lights, please. Now, what in the world does that have to do with prayer? All right, a couple things is, uh, let's just kind of diagnose the scene a little bit. Uh, squints can't swim, but yet... His inability to swim, did that prohibit him diving deep? No. Now, why is that? Anybody raise their hand? Feel free to answer in any way possible. There's no wrong answer. What's that? His reward. His reward. He knew there was something coming. That's exactly right. Not only that, though, is that uh, he also, he really wanted the thing, the the reward, uh, but um, even before that, the benefit is what I would say. He wants the benefit. But before that, he wanted something else. Michael. Well, he had such a deep-driven desire that it overcame. He could not control himself, could he? Yeah, okay. So he was driven by desire, could not contain it. And so the thing is, though, he did trust something. That's exactly right. Did he care? He didn't know how to swim. He didn't care about the relationship. He knew that Wendy Peppercorn was going to save him. And when he was saved, not only... But mo- I'm sorry, not only, but, but most importantly, not only would he have a benefit, but he would have Wendy herself. All right, does anyone know how the movie ends? They get married and they have a bunch of kids. All right, so here's the thing, is that um, when, uh, squints is a, a great lesson for us of the word adoration. Uh, the word to adore means at the mouth. It's a Latin word, at the mouth. Adoration is mouth to mouth with God. So when you go to Christmas time and you're thinking about, what song are we singing, thinking about at Christmas time? Come, let us adore him. We are telling everybody to approach God like Squints did with Wendy Peppercorn. We want to have mouth to mouth with God. Now, here's the thing, though. Let's just kind of practically thinking. If uh, Wendy did not apply mouth to mouth, what would happen to him? He would die. So mouth-to-mouth is life-saving. On multiple levels, this scene represents prayer because prayer is not only driven by desire. It's not only driven by a benefit. In fact, if you, if you believe prayer is driven by a benefit, primarily you have prayer wrong. Prayer is driven by the person or the presence. And when you get the person, you get the whole deal. So you, do, you get the benefit. Prayer is life-saving. You cannot live without the breath of God. In fact, that was Psalm 63. Uh, those who maybe listened well or had it in front of them, uh, there's actually a location, supposedly, um, where this prayer was prayed first. Does anyone know where that was? In the wilderness of Judah. Boy, who else spent some wilderness in Judah? Jesus. So the confession in Psalm 63 is that prayer realigns our desires according to what is actually true. So, so here's the thing is that squints, let's not worry about that. Um, squints cannot control himself. He is overcome by desire. 
Oh, I'm absolutely sure. This is one of the great things is that um, when, it comes, when it comes to prayer, we do not trust ourselves, but we trust what God has said. And so that is why it's not up to us to trust. It's up to God. So anyways, this is, why, this is, this is kind of a frame of mind when we, when we come into prayer. Prayer is life-saving. Can you live without it? No. And the thing is, is that it's driven by this desire for the person. And this person, in Squint's case, results in this intimate union that is fruitful. Abundance. So the character of the union is abundance. All right. So let's get, let's get to the outline, okay? So the thing is, though, we are created with what this term is. Uh, this is actually uh, Lorenzo... Uh, Albacetti, he's a Roman Catholic priest. I read this. I thought, this is great. This is actually true. Um, the, the, okay, so we are created structurally dis- disproportionate, where our desires are more than we can actually satisfy. Now, I know the Rolling Stones has a song, I Can't Get Any Satisfaction, but he doesn't even know what he's asking for. Okay? See, I, I give a long quote from the large catechism there where Luther will describe that when God gives you himself, it's more than you could ever imagine. And the reason why he gives you more than you could ever imagine is because your desires without Christ shoot too low. And so when you are not fulfilled in your desires, now, let me just backtrack a little bit. Desires. Desires are the things you yearn for the most. I know oftentimes when we hear the word desire, we think um, in a particular sort of instance. But I think I gave this, this uh, example of uh, one of our loved ones dying. And when we pray our desire, we don't even know exactly how we desire things. Because a lot of times we'll ask God to remove the pain. But of course, that's not really our desire, is it? Our desire is for the loved one to come back. So when we ask God to remove the pain, we're shooting too low. So that is a desire. So again, I want to understand that desires are the things you long for. I mean, obviously it's people, but it could be other things too. But the thing is, is that uh, we as people, because of sin, now we have this, we have our, our, we're structurally disproportionate, where anything we desire cannot be fulfilled unless we have something or someone that fulfills it that is disproportionate to us. Okay? We cannot fulfill these things just with our, our human desires, our, hum, our human things. So the thing is, is that God wants to give far more abundantly and liberally, that's, that's from the large catechism, than anyone can comprehend. And he asks us to, to ask for these great things. God created our relationship in this way. And this is how we're created. That we would look to him for the fulfillment of our desires. Now, the thing is, is when we have sinned, our desires have been turned inward. Christ is the one that breaks through, through the, by the Holy Spirit to break, to, 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 for us to look outward. And of course, when we look outward, we look, we look towards him. See, when desires go unfulfilled, we become anxious and restlessness. We, come, we become restless. Now, again, we, th- those are words that we might not describe ourselves, but we're always looking for something. Discontent. 
I don't know I mean, how many people have been discontent in their life. I mean, I'm assuming everybody has. Um, so there's something missing to fundamentally to who we are. And, but there's two ways how we handle our anxiety and restlessness of desire. One, we look in the wrong place for it. And the other place is we just try to shove our desires down. Now, I'm not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the other one, where we look in the wrong place for the fulfillment of our desires. So in the large catechism, Martin Luther has this great quote. I mean, what more could you want or desire than God's gracious promise that he wants to be yours with every blessing to protect us and to help us in every need? The large catechism confesses, what the Bible confesses, is that the thing, and it's not really a thing, that fulfills our desire is God himself, and only God. That's primary, and with his, with his presence then comes what it says right there, with every blessing. Oftentimes when we pray, of course, what? We ask for the blessing and not God. As long as you give me what I want, everyone's going to be happy. The thing is, though, when you shoot low like that and you want the blessing, you want, you want this benefit only or primarily, you're missing out on God himself. What kind of scenario would that create, you think? When you only want a blessing and not God himself. George. Definitely. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, God wants to give you blessings. He wants to give you, he wants to fulfill his promises to you. But the basic promise of all scripture is him. He created the world, Adam and Eve, to be with him. He didn't create the, them just so that he could stand off. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, parents, we do this. I know I do it. Maybe I'm the only one, so. Erring, erring faults here. Um, you know, uh, after a long day, and I'm washing dishes, and uh, my kids ask, hey, Daddy, can, can, we, can we play? And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I got to finish my chores, you know. That's what I'm saying to myself. So what do I do? Hey, do you want to watch some TV? Oh, yeah, let's do that, Dad. That sounds great. Okay, you watch TV. I'm going to finish up here. Okay, well, my child obviously asked to be with me, but I just gave them a benefit. Now, my child is going to be, my child is very happy for the next 25 minutes. Okay, but day in and day out, if this continues to happen, they're going to, they're going to wait, wait a second. I don't have my dad. I just have stuff. And then, of course, you've seen this played out many times. Child eventually wakes up to this fact and says, you know, he's angry at mom and dad. And mom and dad says, what do you mean? I gave everything. You have, what, a good house. You have a you know, great education. Okay, well, the thing they don't have is you. So this is what God says. I mean, God, God wants to give himself to you. But along with him becomes great blessings and promises. The fundamental, of course, is being the one where he comes up out of the ground to have that deeper cry of joy and resurrects us. So our greatest desire is God himself. We're created for him. The only thing that's going to satisfy us, that makes us content. Where we wake up in the morning and we say, today is the Lord's day. 
is God himself. I mean, that's it. Now, the thing is, though, this is, because of sin, this is too great a thing. We don't even know how to answer this question. We wouldn't even desire God unless God intervened for us in the gospel. Those who might know the small catechism, where is that answered? I'm really trying to show you that the catechism where we find most boring is actually pretty pretty good. Um, third article of the creed, thank you very much. Third article, of the explanation of the I cannot by my own reason or strength believe or or what? Come to him. I think a lot of people forget that because they think belief is just like an, a mental acknowledgement. <laughs> I, yeah, I know about that, God. But Jesus wants actually to come to him. Intimacy, union, come close, be together. Okay? So without the gospel, we wouldn't even know to do that. And so it makes complete sense that uh, like artists or you know, any sort of artwork would show this, this desire for more. But if they don't know who God is through Jesus, then it's, there's going to be this void or there's going to be this incompleteness to their desire. Um, and we should get upset with people when they say, you know, they look, they look to sinful things to fulfill their desires. That desire is there because they are structurally disproportionate. They know that they're meant for more, but yet they don't know the news that God has entered into the world through his son and wants to actually occupy their heart. So, when this comes about, the purpose of prayer is to transform the restlessness and anxiety of desire into the peace and confidence of hope. Um, I have a quote from, from uh, Ian Morgan Cron. Is, uh, he's an author, but there's a little video. Um, he's got some nice books and nice memoirs. But he has an interesting little phrase that, that got me thinking was, most of us don't pray, most of us just rehearse our anxieties out loud. Which really like, cut me to the heart when I heard that, but... When, um, so when we miss receiving God in prayer and only look to his uh, abilities or his benefits, whatever the large catechism quote was, we miss the point of prayer. Peace and hope come from being in the presence of God, from the encounter our lives. From this encounter, then, our lives change and hope ensues. So think about it this way. I'm just going to use Uncle Bob because, um, I don't know, when I think of like generic people, it's either that or Uncle Louie. Does anyone have an Uncle Louie? Yeah. All right. Uh, does anyone have an I'm some, somebody has Uncle Bob, right? Uh, yeah, okay. I have an Uncle Bob, but I, I don't think about him when I think of this. Um, uh, Uncle Marcus. Does anyone have an Uncle Marcus? All right, let's use Uncle Marcus. It's generic. It won't hit too close to home. All right. So, like, for instance, Uncle, Uncle Bob, you know, let's say, or Uncle Marcus, he's been forgetful as of late. He can't see as well. You're thinking, oh, he might have a little dementia. And, okay, I'm just, I'm talking about Uncle Marcus. And so it's like we got this feed, feedback loop of anxieties that we're just kind of spinning out into the air. Um, what prayer is, though, is actually bringing Uncle Marcus into the presence of God. And being in the presence of God with Uncle Marcus. Um, now, what does that mean? That means is that when we either 
you know, audibly or internally pray for Uncle Marcus. We are we're doing this in the presence of God. And that we are basically, we're, we're giving Uncle Marcus to God. So all this restlessness, anxiety that I have for my love, the, the love that I have for Uncle Marcus, I am getting this over to, to God. But I'm not giving it over in a way that separates me. And this is important. Because I think a lot of us might say, I, I said my prayers, I'm handing it over, and I don't need to worry about that. You know, we talk about this, right? Give it to God. Now you don't have to worry. Well, we can't separate ourselves from Uncle Marcus. Right? I mean, you think about it like, again, I, I often think about my children when I think about God. Um, I'm going to hand my children off with God and then I'm just going to leave? I mean, you know they're in good hands, Right? But what, what do you want? Yeah, you want to be with them. That's the same with Uncle Marcus, right? You don't just hand them over to God and then say, you got them, and then live your life. I know a lot of us might do that because that's our coping mechanism of handling stress and restlessness and anxiety. I give it up to God, and then I can go on with the rest of my day. No. You are still with God when you pray. And we'll talk about how prayer, unceasing, unceasing prayer, is always this longing and this communion or intimacy with God. We'll talk about that in a second, I think. Um, so when we, a, a prayer transforms our restlessness and anxiety into peace and confidence through the presence of God. Because, you know, in spite of our attempts to hide from God, kick God out of our hearts or our lives or run after idols or ideals and accuse him of, or, or accusing of, uh, him of abandoning us, God, and this is the small catechism language, God consistently and continually tenderly invites us to come to him in prayer. As scripture points out, small catechism confesses God initiates the prayer and ours is just this response through faith. You know, I, I just... Two scriptures that popped in my head are Matthew eleven twenty eight and John fifteen sixteen. John eleven twenty eight or Matthew eleven twenty eight is, "Come to me, all who are heavy burden, and I will give you rest." And then John fifteen sixteen is a little bit more specific about prayer, but he says, um, "You didn't choose me; I chose you." And so that you would then ask for the Father, and He would grant things, you know, grant you your prayer. Um, Of course, the explanation of the small catechism, um, we already talked about the meaning of the introduction of the Lord's Prayer, and then the explanation for the first commandment in the large catechism, if you guys happen to read this, I would encourage it, actually. The explanation to the first commandment, the first commandment being, you shall have no other gods, this, this is, is such a uh, profound and lovely explanation of the first commandment. Because Luther will talk about desire, will talk about your heart, and talk about how much God, his heart desires you. So, I, have a little, I think I have a quote in your thing. What is this? The first commandment. What this, I'm sorry, what this means is... See to it that you let me alone be your God and never search for another. In other words... Whatever good thing you lack, look to me for it and seek it from me. And whatever you suffer misfortune and distress 
crawl to me and cling to me. I mean, that's a powerful image, right? I mean, when you crawl, right, what's up? You are down. Yeah, you're desperate. And cling to me. I love the idea of cling. We, we, that was in Psalm 63. The idea of cling. I mean, when you think of cling, what do you think of? Well, grabbing, yeah. Hugging, yeah. When you think of a child, right? Clinging to his parents. Um, I, I also think of uh, uh, ships lost at sea in a storm. You're clinging to what? The mast, right? So um, this is important for us because he'll, you know, he says, whatever thing you lack, look to me for it and seek from me. So he talks about the benefits. You know, the secondary thing, but what's primary? Clinging to him. You get him. I myself will give you what you need and help you out of every danger. Only do not let your heart cling to or rest in anyone else. And that's really important for us is that when we seek after things to satisfy our desires, it's idol worship. Um, All through the Old Testament, if you're at Women's Bible Study, you'll hear this in Samuel. I just bring it up because it's on my back of my mind, but the book of Exodus, you know, the ten plagues is a battle between idol, idols and God. Samuel, um, the, 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 the um, fight between the Philistine god Dagon and Baal and Asheroth, all these things are happening, and God is trying to convince the Israelites that I am your God, I am the one that you want to chase after, I'm the one you want to cling to, and so he sends these plagues. Does my Wisconsin accent come out right there? Pla- plagues or plagues? Plagues, okay. I, you know, I'm really, the long A is really, um, I mean, because we have bags in Wisconsin. We don't have bags, all right? All right. Anyways, so all these, it's, we think about idols as these things or stuff. You know, it's just a statue. Well, no, it, it's actually it's someone. Or we make our children idols, or our parents, our family. I mean, all these things. So we want to cling to God in, in this. So how we do that, though, is through prayer. Prayer is the one that redirects our desires for the more, or to God, toward, toward the more, toward, toward God. So, um, and, and this is another thing, too. So um, we have to remember, I mean, everyone desires good things, right? I mean, how many people desire bad things, Right? No one desires bad things. I mean, if you, well, I mean, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. You believe these things to be good, but they might not be. So when we desire the highest good, or as the large catechism says, the one in eternal good, we des- the one in eternal good is in the large catechism. The one. Of course, who's that? The one God. So if we desire the best, then we're desiring God. Now, I didn't write this in the handout, but this is Luke chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them the Luke inversion of the Lord's Prayer. And then he tells a little parable, right, about how a father will, um, a loving father will give his child an egg rather than a scorpion. Um, 
and then something else besides the viper, and I can't remember what it is. But okay, if an earthly father knows how to good, give good gifts, how much more will the heavenly father give you good gifts? Now, the thing is, you have to ask, what is the good gift, right? Well, and according to the Gospel of Luke, God wants to give you his Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts. So when we talk about God giving you good gifts, his primary gift is himself. So this is why when we think about prayer and desiring what's best or what's good, we are desiring God himself. And so that goes back to our original point last week, is that if we don't think about prayer in terms of relational terms rather than transactional terms, we miss prayer completely. Because prayer, God wants to give himself to you. I mean, he does, there's no transaction where you say the right words and you get what you want, okay? Prayer is all about getting God, because that's what he's giving. Now, getting is, is technically not the right word. I mean, you get to do things, I understand. But um, you, you, you receive God in prayer. So, um, and, of, and then a large catechism. Certainly, if we desire all good things in time and eternity, this promise ought to move and urge us to fix our hearts upon God. I mean, that's just it. So the thing is, though, is that now, let's think in terms of image. Think of uh, squints. What does he desire the most? He desires Wendy Peppercorn. He desires it more than what? Life itself. Take up my cross and follow me. You will find your life when you lose it. Jesus says, you want me, I desire you more than what? My life. And I want you to desire me more than your life. So Squints desires Wendy Beckcorn more than his own life. He's willing to risk it all, isn't he? I mean, so much so that his buddies, I mean, his buddies think he's, he's good as dead. In fact... His buddies think what? He is dead. That's that's, that's until uh, Wendy Peppercorn comes and resurrects him. She breathes life into him. But it's a specific kind of life. I know you guys are thinking I'm crazy. (laughs) But what is the life she breathes back into him? The life that he has now with her. Now, we won't know until the end of the story that he spends the rest of his life with her. But we're already foretold of this, is that in the narrator, he says every summer, I mean, he's kicked out of the pool, right? For the rest of their life. But every time they passed the pool, what would happen? She would, she would acknowledge him. She would wave. Holy smokes, this guy, he's got exactly what he's been desiring for his entire life. What did it take? Death. It took giving up of himself in order to receive her. And as we enter into prayer, that is exactly what we do. We enter into prayer with all of our desires fixed on God, even if it means we die. Nothing is going to stop this. Um. But at the end of prayer, because, okay, so let's play this out more practically in Jesus' life. At the Garden of Gethsemane, again, I'm going to use Gospel of Luke. What does he do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He spills blood, foreshadowing the blood he will spill on the cross. And but what does he say? Not my will, 
but your will be done. He enters into this prayer, giving up himself entirely so that God would live through him. And he gets God entirely. Of course, I know there's this whole Christology, Trinitarian uh, work going on. But we also need to understand that when we enter into prayer, we're giving up our will to God's will, even if that means we die. Because we know that God is going to give us his life to resurrect us. And so then that, that life, after we say amen, let it be so, we have changed. Our restlessness and anxiety has been given over to God, and we are with God. And we know that when we're with God, hope and confidence and peace now directs our life. Um, and that's exactly what happened in the film, in the, in the video clip, is that Squint's received more than he could imagine. Because I don't think he knew that he was going to get Wendy Peppercorn. He did, though. Of course, he was shooting very low, wasn't he? But he got more than he ever asked for. So the thing is, though, at, when prayer restores our image of God by rightly ordering our desires and relationships, when we enter into this prayer, God is now our God and we are his people. And now we return to this relationship that was given in Eden. Um, yeah, and that's, that's where we're going. we're going. We're going to the heavenly kingdom where God is our God and we are his people. And, and just to kind of say is that we are heading to a heavenly feast, a marriage feast of the Lamb. When we go, this is the problem that I think a lot of us might not realize. When we pray that in the prayer of Thanksgiving and the liturgy, by the way, what have we already done before the prayer? What have we done with our hearts? We, well, we've given them to God, right? Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. The Lord has now transformed our hearts. Then we have this prayer of thanksgiving. And we talk about the marriage feast of the Lamb, which will have no end. What is, I think we think we're guests at the marriage feast of the Lamb. But what are we? We're the bride. We are the bride in the marriage feast of the Lamb. So this is the thing, is that when we enter, so when we're going to the heaven, we're not entering into this as kind of guests of God and somebody else. We're entering into heaven as his bride to enter into eternal union with him. Where, him, where, where God and us are now perfectly together. And this is what we hope for in prayer itself, is that our desires are fulfilled in him because that's precisely where we're headed. There's a lot more to be said about that. But, um, but the thing is, though, now here, like U2's song, the Joshua Tree album, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I was, I was always bothered by this song when I was a kid. Now, some of you might never heard of it. But um, uh, Bono was like, hey, you know, I, I, I believe, uh, you know, in Jesus, I, in the song. He's like, I believe this. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm like, how could he say that? I mean, he believes in Jesus, he shouldn't have any more struggles. Again, I'm, I'm like 10 years old, right? Okay. Now I listen to the song, and I'm like, yeah, he's actually right. I mean, I, I just received Jesus, what, hour and 20 minutes ago? I have, I have Jesus, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's this still, this restlessness in us as, uh, and so that's why we keep going back to prayer. Now, why do we have this restlessness? Because we're sinners. 
And we have to go back to prayer. We always continue to go back to prayer. And the large catechism says that's one of the reasons why we pray without ceasing, is that we live our life always knowing that we're sinners and that we need God. We need to live in that presence of God. We can't just hand something off to God and say, I'm okay, great, I'm out of here. You take care of it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm here, God, to give you this person. I'm here to give myself to you, and I can't live without you. And I don't want this, to not, I don't want this ever to stop. But the other reason we continue lo- uh, longing is, is a real positive thing. We want to be, and I mentioned this last week, I think, so um, when we enter into our relationship with God, well, let me just backtrack. Most men, right? Actually, there's a movie out right now. What men want? Which, first of all, I think is the, is the silliest thing. I mean, men are not very complicated. <laughs> so I'm like, this, this movie's got to be pretty boring. You know, like 20 years ago, there was a Mel Gibson movie, What Women Want. Of course, now I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued in this because women are a mystery to me. They still are. And husbands, if you believe you know your wife, then please come up here and teach us all. <laughs> this is another reason why I love the clip from Sandlot. Women are an ocean. And men, you are deep sea divers. Okay? You need to jump into the deep end. Because I tell you what, there is a lot going on there and that you need to learn. Okay? Now, I say that in jest, but I say that with all seriousness. Is that men, women are a... And when I say mysterious, I don't mean like... I mean, I mean like deep sea diving. You go and you learn and you're enthralled and you're amazed at what you can find inside the sea. I, I think it's the same way. And this is, this is kind of characteristic of, of, of how when, again, this is from a male perspective. I, I think uh, women should see men as like deep caves. So women are spelunkers. Men are deep sea divers. I think this is true. Um, but the positive thing is that we need to, uh, when we, so the desire for longing doesn't get fulfilled because there's always more to God. And so we're, when we enter into prayer, we're always learning more and more. And so the saddest, but we're, we're, we're content. Why are we content? We're content because we're with God, even though there's always more to, to know. To believe that we will, will reach contentness when we know everything is putting ourselves in the place of God, putting this like we just know everything. And of course, wives, forgive your husbands because they act that way lots of times, don't they? So, I mean, so that's why being married is, is a good lesson for uh, prayer, but also um, living in the church is good for prayer because holy smokes. So you have these two reasons why we're always entering into prayer, our darkened hearts and our joy of knowing who God is. So... That's why we enter into prayer, because it, it directs our desires back to God. And when we are in that point, then we can pray what King David did in Psalm 63, which we will not go over because we are five minutes over our time and we need to get out of here. <laughs> but just by the way, men are not empty holes. <laughs> just go to the Mammoth Cave, okay? I was in Kentucky... That is a great, great image of men because there is a lot of interesting things in the Mammoth Cave. Just saying. 
Um, I do have to admit, I just, I just feel like men are just very simple, though. I, I mean, I have three girls and one boy, and my, my wife still wonders why my son only just really likes sports, video games, and candy. <laughs> I mean, she wonders about, like, what to get him for, for, for Christmas and birthday. I'm like, babe, this is easy. <laughs> a video game, a box of candy, or let's take him to a sporting event. Cloud nine. So... He is. He is just. Yeah. He's. Oof. So he's. It's ten birthday. Tenth birthday. What are we gonna do? We're gonna go to a Milwaukee Brewers game. Eat hot dogs and cotton candy. And he's already got his video game. So he. he yeah. So. I mean, ask him about it. You should ask him. Hey, are you gonna go to a Milwaukee Brewers game for tenth birthday? He'll be like, yeah. Now he'll say a variety of things that aren't true. Like we're gonna go on opening day. We're gonna get a like a, a you know skybox. I mean, <laughs> no, we're not doing any of that. But we are gonna go to a brewer game. It might not be on his birthday because it's March 16th. But yeah, we're gonna go. So, all right, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.